couple months ago, I was reading and studying and, and watching some stuff, and, and uh, the Lord showed me something really cool uh, about the word faith that I had never seen before. And um, I thought, you know, I'm going to dig into that and check it out a little bit further. And as I was doing that, um, I decided, you know what, we're going to make this whole uh, summer series about this. And so, um, so Chris and I are going to be speaking over the next four weeks. Uh, the sermon series is called Faith Works, and uh, she'll be speaking next week. So make sure to come back for that. It's going to be incredible. Um, how many of you know that, that simply the life of faith, it just works? Um, you know, it does everything that the Father promises it to do. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about what biblical faith is not and what biblical faith is. You know, it's so interesting, but um, I can't tell you how many times I have read Scripture. And those of you who have been believers uh, reading the Word of God for a long time, you would probably say the same thing. But I've read it so many times thinking that it meant one thing, and that as my faith matures, as I understand more about the entire story of the gospel, I come to realize that it meant something entirely different. Anybody with me before? And so today... um, I have read the word faith so many times, and um, I think uh, at, at times as I've read this word, I've misapplied the meaning of the word as I've been reading scripture. And um, you know, my dad used to always say, he would say, son, think before you speak. Now, he was probably saying that for many reasons, to save me the pain of saying something that I would regret, but uh, how many of you know that it's important to think before we speak, and as we read and we engage God's word, that we think well as we do it? Well, let's talk about the word faith. What does the word faith actually mean? We're going to take a look at that today, and a couple of interesting facts for the Bible nerds in the house. The word faith is actually used 296 times in the New Testament. Did you know that there's actually seven Greek words that represent our one word faith in the English language? Isn't that interesting? And each one of those seven Greek words means something different. That's why if we ask the room today, what does the word faith mean? Many of you guys would probably have a lot of different answers and you would be right. But we, I, what I have found about this word faith is that 89% of the time the word faith is used, it's used as one particular word, 89% of the time. That means that those six other Greek words that define the word faith um, cannot be applied to all of the other times the word faith is being used. And because of that, I myself, and I think so many believers, well-meaning, have misapplied uh, many scriptures as we've come across this word faith when we read it in the Bible. So our series uh, text today is going to come from Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 6. It'd be our series text. In fact, the, the entire um, book of Hebrews and, and Hebrews 11 is an incredible chapter on faith. I encourage you all to read it. Here's what it says. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Today, my goal for you is not to take away any ideas that you have about the word faith, but rather to um, give you a more robust way of thinking about the word faith. How many of you guys like that word robust? It just, it just felt so right to say 
Before we dig in, I want to notice what, um, what biblical faith is not in context of this specific word we're going to be looking at today. Biblical faith is not, in your notes, initiated by humans. You don't stir faith up on your own. You don't find it on your own. Faith can never be stirred up by you because you are not the creator of it. It doesn't start with you. Now, when we begin to believe and think that faith is initiated by us, here is a lie we grab onto and a deception we grab onto as believers. And here's the lie. The lie sounds like this. I can do it. How many of you realize throughout your journey in life that you can't do it? You need a lot of help from somebody. See, the enemy loves to get us to think these twisted ideas about faith and make you think that you can do it. And and he whispers into your ear, yeah, you're right. You can do it. You're the man. You're the woman. Man, no, if anybody could do it, it's you because you can make it happen. Now, while being able to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and make a lot of things happen in life, and that is true about a lot of things, you can't do that when it comes to faith. We're talking about what biblical faith is not. Biblical faith is not initiated by humans, and biblical faith is not increased by grit. How many times have you told yourself, wow, that looks like something really hard. I'm going to need a lot of faith for that, so I'm going to dig in to get my faith so I can go accomplish that. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to stop worrying and stop being a whiner, and I'm going to be a man of faith or a woman of faith. How many of you have thought that about another believer before? They need to stop whining, and they need to stop worrying, and they just need to be a man of faith. How many of you have thought that about your spouse? Okay, just kidding. Don't elbow them. I'm trying to keep marriages together today. So with these ideas of faith, thinking that I can increase faith by my grit, just by digging down deep. The problem is is that we find ourselves, when we start thinking like that, backing into Old Covenant works ideas about getting God's attention, about getting his approval, and getting his blessing, and getting his help for our daily lives. When we believe lies like this in your notes, here's the lie that we begin to take on when we see faith through this lens, is that I can make God do it. Because when I dig deep and I I reach down really hard into faith, then God's gonna make things easier for me. Then God's gonna reward me. Then God's gonna bless me. He's gonna be really happy with me. Can I tell you something? God is not our genie in a bottle. He, in fact, is our heavenly father, so willing to, as any good father is, bless and reward his kids with all of the blessings in heaven. I want you to know today that we can't trick, we can't manipulate God to doing anything on our behalf. One of my favorite quotes is from Dr. Jim Richards. He says this about faith. He says, why do we as believers try to use faith to get God to give us things that are already ours in Christ? Let me say that again. He said, why as believers do we try to use faith to get God to give us things that are already ours in Christ? Now, I want to warn you, I'm going to step off the map of hair and go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. You're not supposed to do that when you're a good preacher, but you know, hey, I'm just me. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. Here's what Paul declares. He declares an incredible truth to some, some believing believers as we read through the book of Ephesians. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth mentioning again today. 
He, be- he encourages these believers these, uh, an incredible new covenant truth because these, this church, as many church in the New Testament, they were struggling with old covenant ideas and blending them into the new covenant truths that we learn about God. And truth be told, I think many believers, including myself, still struggle with understanding the differences of the promises for people living under the old covenant and the promises for people living under the new covenant. I want you to know that you can't live under both. You've got to choose one. And here's something interesting about the old covenant law. The old covenant law always demanded more from you. The old covenant system, there was always more to do to get God's approval. You always had to work hard and sacrifice more to obtain righteousness and the sacrifices and the work never stopped. The old covenant focused on man's work and man's ability as opposed to the new covenant. And that's what Paul was preaching to this church. And, and, and I'm pretty sure that most of you are believers today because you're under the new covenant, right? The new covenant of grace always supplies more while the old covenant always demanded more. See, the focus in the new covenant is not on man's work, but in fact, it's actually focused on God's work on what Jesus accomplished on the cross through the finished work, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The old covenant law teaches this. You must do more so I can. The new covenant of grace, God says, I will so you can. That's worth repeating. That's why it's so important for you to understand what covenant you live under. That's why it's so important to understand as you read the Bible that when God is speaking to old covenant believers, there's a way that he related and there was a way to have a relationship with God under the old covenant. And when he's speaking to new covenant believers, there's a way to have a relationship with God under the new covenant. And you don't mix covenants. The old covenant law teaches, you must so I can. And the new covenant of grace says, I will so you can. The old covenant law is about rules and rewards. And Paul steps in here to this church who was blending covenants and struggling. And I believe that the word of God steps into the grace place today to anybody who's struggling to combine, that's combining covenants. He comes in and he says, hey, new covenant believers, I want you to know something about this new covenant grace that you are under. It is nothing like the old. It's not about rules and rewards, but this new covenant that you are under is about inheritance and blessings. Ephesians 3.1 is where he's declaring this. It says this, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessed spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Now, I want you to just take a look at that for a moment. Do you see that word has? Does the scripture say someday God's gonna bless you? Does it say when you try harder, when you get more grits? Does it say when you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, when you do better, God's gonna bless you? No, it says He already has blessed you in Christ. He's already done it past tense, not someday, not in the sweet by and by when we're in heaven, although we're gonna see fully how blessed we already are. He's trying to get you to see how blessed you are now. 
He doesn't say, when you get it together, then God's gonna bless you. He says he already has blessed you. And here's the shocking truth for us today. The shocking truth is this, that you don't have to get it together to be blessed by God. Now, I know this might be freaking some of you out here as I say that, but I'm just reading what the word of God says. I know I could be treading out on the edges for some of you, so let me say it like this. Believer, you will get it together when you realize how blessed you already are. When you realize how blessed you already are, you will get it together. Why? Because where the mind goes, there everything else goes. And God is trying to shift you from a slave mentality, from an old covenant lost orphan mentality into the mentality of a son, a righteous son found in Jesus Christ. And he's trying to get you to think like that son who was found in Jesus Christ. I promise you that when your mind goes and you begin to realize how blessed you already are, everything else in you will go that direction. In the mid-1940s during World War II, there was a soldier that had been fighting. His name was Lieutenant Onada. Lieutenant Onada refused to believe the good news that the war was over. He, his refusal kept him soldiering on in the jungle for 30 years. Lieutenant Onada was still fighting a self-manufactured war that only existed in his mind. He refused to believe the good news and was fighting an enemy that had already been defeated. I wonder how many believers are still living like this today, thinking that they got to fight and work for God's approval when Jesus said, I already fought and did all the work needed for your approval unaware that the good news has been declared in Jesus and the good news is this, the war is over. In fact, Jesus went and took a seat next to the right hand of the Father because the war is over. The demands of the old covenant law were met and fully fulfilled in Jesus. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. These words were the bookends marking the end of the old covenant and beginning the new era of the new covenant of grace. Yet so many well-meaning believers choose to stay and fight a war that they can never win and hide in the bunkers, refusing to rest and receive the good news that says, hey, come out, the war's over, Jesus won. You're free. You're fully accepted in the Father. The beloved, he loves you just as you are. And we continue to fight a defeated enemy. We continue to try hard to earn God's uh, acceptance. We continue to work hard to get God to bless us. Friends, I gotta tell you, I, I live my life as a believer so long that way, and it will wear you out. When I think about the life that Christ has given me, that's not what he has given me. He's given me something completely different. And Paul would come to us today and said, hey, believers, wake up. Wake up to the fact that every blessing in the heavenly realms has now been given to you because of Jesus. 
We talked about what faith is not. Let's go ahead and talk about what biblical faith is. And, and by the way, this is not gonna be an exhaustive list of all seven words. We're just gonna talk about one. Somebody say thank you. You're welcome. Um, as we take a look at Hebrews 11.6, our core text for this series, um, this word faith in this scripture, the Greek word here is the word pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S. It's a strong words, 4102. By the way, um, Bible CC is a great resource to go online. Uh, you don't have to be a pastor to translate words. All you've got to do is, is go and do a little studying for yourself. You can find this stuff on your own. Um, this site is where probably most preachers I know, unless they still have books, go and find original word usage. Um, as I mentioned before, this word pistis that we're going to take a look at in a moment, 90, 89% of the time, it's this word faith, pistis, that we see. All right, you guys want to know what it means after all this setup? <laughs> it means this, divine persuasion in the heart. Divine persuasion on the heart of man. It's literally the idea of God moving your entire life to divinely persuade your heart of who he is and to divinely persuade your heart of who you are and how different the two of you are. Therefore, if faith is God's divine moving on your heart, it can never be something that starts with man or produced by man. For a man to have any idea about God, his nature, his creation, his glory, or reading the Bible and understanding anything about him, that man needs divine persuasion on the heart. That man needs faith. If you're anything like me, I have read this word faith in the Bible and thought many different things. One of the common words that I would exchange for the word faith is the word believe. And every time I would read and come across the word faith, I would kind of think of it as the word believe. Now, you would be right in some cases because the word believe is used as the word faith, but it's interesting to note that there's only two times that the Greek word believe, pistolio, is used as the word faith. We talked about what biblical faith is not, but with a proper understanding that this word means divine persuasion of the heart, let's take a look at some scriptures and have some fresh perspective. We can see um, biblical faith is this in your notes, it's a way of life. We see 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith. We live by divine persuasion, not by sight. See, when we walk and move through this life, this scripture gives us the idea that, um, that we have a spiritual perception as we move through life. And it's not ours. It's not our own smart ideas. No, it's God's ideas divinely moving in our hearts. And if we consider ourselves wise believers, we would be asking God for divine persuasion to help us to see life through his eyes. Don't you think that'd be a good idea? To help us to see people through his eyes? to help him divinely persuade us to see the world through his eyes, to see pandemics and racial injustice through his eyes, and the list can go on and on and on. And here's the truth we discover in his word when we live in this truth. In your notes, we are discovering how God views the world. He's working and moving throughout your entire life to divinely persuade you how he thinks about everything. 
Because how he thinks about everything and how we think about everything is dramatically different. Wouldn't you agree with me? So biblical faith is a way of life. And lastly, biblical faith is a way to please God. We're going to take a, a little bit more time and dig in a little bit deeper here. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, without divine persuasion, it's impossible to, ple- to please God. He says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, um, there's some words bolded up there, and we're going to just take a few moments and unpack some of these words. And if we're not careful as we translate that word faith, we can easily misapply it to belief and thinking it's about pulling ourselves up by our bootstrap and thinking it's about having this, this grid and just manufacturing it on our own. And that's not, in fact, what this scripture implies at all. In fact, it says, without God's divine persuasion moving in the heart of man, there's no way you can please God. I have worn myself out trying to please God through the manufacturing of my own works. Have you ever done that? I have discouraged myself because as I've tried, I've failed. I've worn myself out. I have felt deflated. I have felt defeated as I tried to work hard to be the good, perfect little boy for God that he needed me to be. But did Jesus say that's what the life of faith was like? I don't think so. He, in fact, said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And this is where semantics matter. This is where my dad would have said, Sean, think before you speak. Do a little studying before you open your mouth. And as we properly unpack this scripture, I think it's so important for us to even back up a couple verses to Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it talks a little bit about what divine persuasion is all about. It says, now faith, same word, divine persuasion, is confidence in what we hope for. Church, what do we hope for? What does the world hope for? I believe that the world is so desperately hoping that God is actually real, that he's true, and that he's a loving God, and that he's real. And I think that humanity is, is hoping that we are worthy of saving in our fallenness, in our brokenness, in our frailty. I think that we're hoping for holiness. We're hoping for healing. We're hoping for completeness. We're hoping for love and belonging and acceptance and fulfillment and purpose in the Father. I believe that we're hoping for America and the rest of the world that God loves and gave his life for. And God is divinely persuading us to give us confidence that every one of those things that we hope for are true and they're real. And what assurances does he give us to hope for these things that we often have a hard time seeing? He gives us the assurance of our spiritual reality. He is constantly reminding you who you are in Christ. He is constantly reminding you of heaven's perspective of you. He is constantly reminding you that when your life is over here on earth, that you will spend an eternity with him in absolute bliss, worshiping and loving him and and experience incredible union with the Father. I don't know about you, but as I take a look at this word, faith, I am beginning to understand that these are not things that I can do on my own. I need divine persuasion in my heart. And how many of us agree that as humans and as people, as God divinely persuades us of these truths and we decide to believe them, how many know that belief is the trigger word that the Bible describes and that word belief enters you into the life of Christ? And that when we believe these things, we're saved. 
Here's something real quick that you can use to distinguish faith from belief. Faith is God's job in this context. Belief is yours. Faith is God divinely moving on your heart and belief is you simply with your will coming into agreement with what he's trying to persuade you. You were saying, God, God, you're trying to persuade me of all this. Okay, I give up mercy. I'm gonna come into agreement with what you say. That's why without faith, it's impossible to believe God because it's it's impossible to please God, excuse me. You cannot please the Father without salvation. There's no way. This word please here is, uh, is the word uh, eresco. This word means to properly satisfy and win someone's favor, affection, and approval. Can I tell you that when you surrender your life to Jesus, he is satisfied with you. He is, you are, you are, he, he has, uh, you have favor in his eyes. You are approved by him. He is fully satisfied. He is pleased with you. So you want to know how to please the Father? Give your life to him. Because when the windows of heaven are opened over your life and you begin to live in the abundant life of Christ, there's nothing that makes the Father happier. But when you're over here trying to work for his approval and, 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 find, and, and find different ways to trick him, to get him to bless you and love you and make him happy with you, that makes him so sad. Because he says, I have provided all of this for you. You can stop wasting your time working because you're never gonna be able to do it on your own. It's impossible. So scripture continue on. It says, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. What happens when a believer believes? What what happens when a non-believer believes? He gets saved, right? He says, Lord, I give my heart to you. This scripture in context is referencing the salvation of a believer. The last part of this verse says, when he, that when we believe, that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. Did you know that back in the Bible times that there were people who were not earnestly seeking Jesus? They were following around all of these believers um, with all of their commerce, trying to figure out new ways to make money off of them. They would uh, parade themselves as if they were believers themselves, and their heart was not in it for Jesus. They were not earnestly seeking him. But the Father rewards those who earnestly seek him and come to faith. What does he reward them with? He rewards them with Jesus. Jesus is the reward. Did you know that? Your life in Christ is the reward. You don't have to work anymore because he is the reward. And when he rewards the believer, every spiritual blessing, as we read in Ephesians 1, is rewarded over to you. You can stop slaving, you could stop grinding, you could stop trying to get more faith, and you could just let faith take hold of your heart and begin to convince you of how incredible our Father is because he rewards his kids who earnestly seek him for their salvation. Wow, so unbelievable. The Father is so good. Here's the truth when we begin to believe God's word about this kind of biblical faith. Faith in Jesus pleases the Father. You know, there were so many times in my life that I wondered if I pleased God, that if he was happy with me, 
There's so many times if I wondered that I was accepted by him and that I was his beloved and he was mine. There were so many times that I would try harder to do better, working ferociously, because in my heart I desperately desired healing, completeness, love, belonging, fulfillment, and purpose, and I was trying to find that by working hard for God. And I realized that that was no way to please the Father. The only way to please the Father was to give my life to Jesus. I wonder how many of you today have been working hard to please the Father. Well, today, um, our series we've titled Faith Works simply because it does. We're gonna sing a song in a moment, but before we do, I wanna remind us that this kind of faith that we're talking about, defined persuasion, this kind of faith has originated in God. This kind of faith is imparted to you by God. And this kind of faith comes to you in the form of a seed called the word of God. It's not just a written word, it's not just a book, but it's also a person, the living word, which is Jesus. And he uses people just like you and me to go out and declare this message and to spread this seed so God can begin to divinely persuade the world of his incredible love for them.